to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're still working our way through our series we're calling Living the Lord's Prayer. And we're working our way through um, phrase by phrase. We've only got a couple of them left. But the idea is that we're not just learning what the Lord's Prayer means and indicates and the truths that are there. We are doing that. And we're not just learning how we should pray it, but how we can live it. And I heard a really good story um, along the lines of the topic for tonight. So I thought I would start with that instead of um, something else. So there's a pastor that was preaching on this Sunday... And the topic of his sermon for that Sunday was forgive your enemies. And at the very, very end, he asked, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? And about half the people in the congregation raised their hands. He says, is that all? How many of you have forgiven your enemies? And it was getting close to lunchtime and people wanted to get out. So a bunch more people raised their hand. About 80% of the people raised their hands. And he was still disappointed. He said, well, how many of you are willing to forgive your enemies. And everybody except for this little old lady raised their hand. And this little old lady was the sweetest little old lady in the church, and he couldn't figure out why she wouldn't raise her hand, that she was willing to forgive her enemies. And so she asked her, she says, Mrs. Jones, are you not willing to forgive your enemies? And she says, I don't have any enemies. And so she says, well, that's very unusual. How old are you? She says, 93. He says, what a blessing and what a lesson you are to everybody. Can you tell us how a person can live 93 years and not have an enemy in the world? She says, I outlived them all. (laughs) Anyway, I thought you'd like that story. Uh, The section of the Lord's Prayer we're looking at tonight is called Forgive Us Our Debts. And um, that's just uh, part of the phrase. It's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and this is the only phrase in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus actually added some comments to after he got done talking about the prayer, I guess because it was so important to him. But it's really interesting as we're talking about living the Lord's Prayer, this is the clearest example of living the Lord's Prayer in the Lord's Prayer itself because this is the one where Jesus tells us, hey, don't just pray this, but do it. He says, pray, God, forgive me of my sins. But if you're going to pray that, you've got to be willing to forgive other people's. Okay? So let's read it. Let's go and read the whole thing. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. And it says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. But then Jesus adds two more verses of instruction after teaching this prayer. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Interesting. So we're going to jump into this, but before we start looking at our four questions that we're using each week to examine these phrases from the Lord's Prayer, I want to make sure that we're on the same page about um, some definitions and some ideas that Jesus is talking about here. 
Um, in the translation I'm reading, which is the English Standard Version, it says, forgive us our debts. Okay? If you... I'm not if you, but you have probably heard a number of different versions of the Lord's Prayer through the years. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. They all pretty much mean the same thing. But in this particular translation, it says, forgive us our debts, because that literally is the word that is used there, debts. Okay? Now, we're used to think uh, thinking of debts as something, money, that we owe somebody. So in what sense does Jesus mean, or in what ways he's using this word debts? How is it that we need forgiveness for debts from God? What comes to your mind? Why, why is the word for debt used? I mean, it literally is used in the Greek, the word for debt. It means sin, that's obvious. But why would he use the word debt for sin? All right, you're trying to wrap up the whole lesson in one little phrase. All right. But you made a very good point about the debt thing, that Jesus paid our debt. See, there's that word again. Remember that old course, he paid a debt he didn't owe, I owed a debt I couldn't pay? So in what way is sin, our sin, like a debt? Because that's the reason why the word is used. In what way is our sin like a debt? Because we cannot pay it all. Because we can't pay it? Or we can't pay it all. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a little bit, all right? So, again, we can't pay our own debt, and that's why Jesus had to pay it. But again, why is the word debt that's used there for sin? Chris? We get a reward. All right. John, were you getting ready to say something? Yes, a sin is something that needs to be paid. Okay. So when we do something wrong, you mentioned specifically to someone else, I mean, it can be to God. We owe because they didn't deserve that. You know, a debt is something that is owed, right? So if you, uh, the way I, I thought this is the clearest is I uh, came across it says, we owe God our obedience. He is our God, all right? And when we don't obey him, we sin, we owe him because of that. That's exactly what you were saying. And so when we sin, we are in his debt. And, you know, even when we sin against other people, the Bible makes it clear we're actually sinning against God because we're not doing what he wants us to do in our relationships with one another. And it's interesting because Paul uses the same word in a way that helps us understand how it all ties together with what Jesus did. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, that's the other word, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So Paul brings us all together. Our sins are a debt. We couldn't pay that debt, so Jesus did. He did it on the cross. And so this debt is symbolized as this document that was nailed to the cross, which had its application in the way they crucified people. Because when they crucified people... Most of the time, they would write down what that person was guilty of, and they would nail it to the cross. So as people that walk by say, oh, that person was crucified because they killed this person, or that person was crucified because they did this. That's why on Jesus' cross it says he claimed to be, or that's what the religious leaders wanted to say, but it says the king of the Jews. All right? So basically it's saying this debt that we owe God, our sins, we should have been crucified, and we should have had that thing nailed to the cross so everybody know, but it said Jesus did it. 
and it was nailed to the cross, and that paid the price of it. So that's why the word debt is used there. The other word that is used is trespass. Okay, um, Jesus actually used that in Matthew six when he talked about the um, when he gave the additional instructions. He said, "For if you give, forgive others their trespasses." That's another word you see in Scripture um, to talk about sin. To trespass means you pass a boundary. Go someplace you're not supposed to. Literally, it means you pass over a boundary. And so that's why it's used for sin. Because we go over that boundary God's placed upon what's acceptable to him. Um, I like this. A four-year-old was praying one time, and she was saying, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. So, <laughs> I like that. For, we, we need to forgive the people who put trash in our baskets so that God will forgive our trash baskets. Okay? So I like that. So that gets us to the word that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to forgive. What does it mean to forgive? To no longer desire retribution for the act that was committed against you. So we can force ourselves or make ourselves somehow to no longer desire. (laughs) I can see that look in your eyes like, did I word that exactly right? How about we change desire to no longer seek? Okay. Okay. I mean, the goal would be we wouldn't desire it anymore. Okay. But sometimes we can't help our desires, right? It's like, God, I, 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 how many of you ever find it hard to forgive somebody? Yeah, it is. I mean, they messed us up. Now, everybody should forgive me because I didn't do it on purpose, you know, and I had the best of motives and my situation is different. So everybody should forgive me. But I don't want to forgive somebody else. You know, we want mercy for ourselves, but we want justice. Of course, another reason why is because what I did was not near as bad as what they did to me. Right? Isn't that the way we feel? Yeah, Chris, you had your hand up. What do you want to add to that? The complete opposite of sons of thunder. Okay, you're referring to James and John when they wanted to call down God's fire and lightning on the Samaritans because they rejected Jesus and his followers. Yeah, it's the opposite of that. The best definition, shortest best definition I've come, and it's on your note sheet, come up with is forgive is to grant free pardon for an offense. Now, one of the reasons we struggle so much with forgiveness is because we've got the wrong idea about forgiveness. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Okay? Forgiveness is not a feeling. All right? You can forgive someone and still feel very badly about what they did. You can forgive someone and still feel really negative toward a person. I mean, we've got to work on that. But you can still forgive them because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not pretending that you weren't hurt. Okay, you don't have to say, oh, it really wasn't that bad. It was that bad. Forgiveness is not saying that what they did wasn't wrong. Okay? You know, when somebody says, you know what, I really hurt you. I did this, that, and the other. Um, I'm sorry. Sometimes people say, oh, that's okay. Don't say it's okay. It wasn't okay. The proper response would be, I forgive you. Okay? Because it wasn't okay. It's not saying that it was okay. See, sometimes people think, oh, if I forgive them, then basically gives them an excuse to go out and do it again or to do it to me again. Or they think it's all right. No, it wasn't all right, but I'm going to forgive you anyway. God never says when we ask him for forgiveness, oh, what you did was okay. No, it wasn't. But he forgives us anyway. Forgiveness is not relieving that person of their responsibility to make things right. If somebody hurts you in a way that they can repair, they need to repair it. It's not letting them, quote, get away with it. All right? And forgiveness does not obligate you to trust that person again. 
If someone does something to you that violates your trust, that trust, if it's ever there again, has to be earned. Okay? It doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to forgive them, so I have to... No, you don't. You don't have to trust them, not until they've earned it. Okay? I like what this one Christian psychologist said. His name is Archibald, Archibald Hart. He says, forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you because you hurt me. I like that. Okay? Doesn't have to do with feelings or all that kind of stuff. And I, I, you know, I can hold you accountable, but I am not going to um, you know, try to hurt you back or whatever. I might hold you accountable, but I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. All right? So when Jesus says this, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, sins, debts, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a tough statement. What does that mean? Does that mean that you can be a good Christian and serve God all your life and really love Jesus, but if you forget to forgive somebody or you choose not to forgive somebody of one little thing that you're going to go to hell? Carlton says no. So you're like, I don't know if I, how I should answer. This is a trick question. John's going, eh. How are we saved? By grace. By grace. What is required to be saved? Asking God for forgiveness. Yeah. Asking God for forgiveness based on what Jesus did, his death upon the cross. It is by grace we are saved, not by works. Okay? Forgiving someone is a work. Say, what? Well, wait a minute, that seems like it's totally contradicting what Jesus is saying here. Okay. So let me explain it this way. I don't want to dig this too deep because we've got to get into the rest of our study. All right? First of all, let me just say that Jesus often taught using a thing called hyperbole. Does anybody know what hyperbole is? Makes him make things bigger than they are to make a point. Like when he says, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Did he mean he literally wanted you to pluck out your eye? Only if it's absolutely necessary. But no, he's saying take whatever step is necessary to get it taken care of. Most Bible scholars see, say that this is, uh, in one sense, a sense of hyperbole. All right, He's saying this to really get your attention. But another really good way to illustrate this is that you've got that whole thing about being saved by grace, but yet we're supposed to live a life pleasing to God, right? Okay, so are we saved by living a life pleasing to God? No, we're saved by grace. But if you're truly saved by grace, you will live a life pleasing to God. And if you're not living a life pleasing to God, deliberately, there's a chance you're not really saved. Okay? So it's not the living the right life, doing the right things that's going to save you. But if you're truly saved, then your desire, your heart will be, and you will work toward doing the right things. And so this is very similar to that. Just as good works don't save us, but those who are truly saved will do good works, so also our forgiveness of others doesn't earn our forgiveness from God, but those who have been truly forgiven from by God will forgive others others if you cannot with god's help and it takes god's help come to forgive others again not changing your feelings not excusing what they do if you can't do that there may be a chance that you've not truly experienced god's forgiveness and we're going to see that some more in some of the teachings that jesus had and stuff like that tonight that when we fully understand what god has forgiven us of it doesn't make it easy 
but it should make it easier for us to forgive others. And that should be a fruit from our lives as we're growing in him. So, okay. Basically, it's proof that they have experienced forgiveness because they're able to forgive others. Well, let's jump into our four questions. We spent a little bit more time on the introduction because I wanted to make sure we were all on the same page about understanding these particular um, words and, and concepts. So number one, what truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer? In other words, when Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, um, uh, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and he made that statement about this is very key to your relationship with God, okay? Um, where do we see that elsewhere in Scripture? What, what do we see that the Bible teaches about sin, our need for forgiveness, and God's willingness to forgive? And obviously, that's the theme of the whole Bible, so there's a lot of stuff there. But what are some major things that jump out at you, apart from Jesus' life and ministry, because that's question number two? But with the rest of the Bible, what does it tell us about our sin, our need for forgiveness, and God's willingness to forgive? Any thoughts come to your mind? There's a lot of phones going off. Is somebody trying to reach everybody in the room? <laughs> okay, Sharon. Okay, God is holy. God hates sin, okay? And because he is holy, sin separates us from God, and so we've got to get the sin problem taken care of. And we all know, you know, thank God he did it through Jesus. Yeah, John. Okay, as far as our relationship to others, we shouldn't sin against them. We should do to others like we would like people to do to us, which is the teaching of Jesus. But yeah, John, I mean, Chris, quote it for us. All right. So Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through him, the world might be saved. But if you read the whole passage in context, that's exactly true. The world was already condemned. That's why he had to come. He wanted to save the world goes to the verse before, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, be condemned, but shall be saved. All right? Have eternal life. Any other truths you can think of about sin and uh, our need for forgiveness, God's willingness to forgive? Is God willing to forgive? Yeah? Okay. I mean, he sent Jesus, right? All right. I said, it's a big topic. It's basically the whole theme of the whole Bible. Let me give you the ones, uh, the, the, the key thoughts that I put down. As I say every week, my thoughts aren't the only thoughts in the Bible about these topics, and they're not any necessarily any better than yours, but these are the ones that came to me. All right. Letter A is very similar to what Sharon said. God is righteous and just and does not overlook sin. God does not overlook sin. Now, there is a passage in Acts when Paul is talking to the people in Athens. And he says, for a while, God, he, he, I forget the word he uses there, he kind of just, you know, put it aside because something needed to be done. But that time's over with now, okay? Huh? The James, James uh, version says winked. A winked, okay, yeah. So God is righteous and just and does not overlook sin. Now, I want to read part of... Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to leave some stuff out, but we're going to read the whole thing in a minute because I'm going to make a point. In Exodus chapter 36, verses 6 and 7, Moses basically expressed to God, God, I'd like to see you. He says, no, you can't see me. Basically, it'd kill you, all right? But I'll let you see a little bit of me, all right? And so he put Moses there and he covered it up. And, and as God went by, God made declarations about his character. This is what God said, but I'm leaving part of it out for just a moment. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who will by no means clear the guilty. 
Okay? In other words, God does not overlook sin. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? But think about it. What, what is the main point here? God is righteous and just. What would you think of a judge in their role as a judge who just totally overlooked all crime? You know? Somebody raped your daughter. They show up in front of this judge. Ah, don't worry about it. Somebody murdered your mother. Show up before the judge. Ah, don't worry about it. What kind of judge would they be? Why'd you say he's on the take? Somebody's paying him a lot of money, right? They're not, a, they're not a righteous judge, are they? And God is the ultimate in righteousness and justice and holiness. God would have to totally lose his character. Not to judge sin. That's what leads to the gospel, all right? That's why Jesus came. Letter B, that goes back to what Sharon said too. Sin separates us from God. I mean, this is the basic gospel. Sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the good news in letter C is that God, I put but... God is a forgiving God. God is a forgiving God. And can I tell you, God does not ignore sin. God does not overlook sin. Sin has to be paid for fully and completely. But God's mercy and grace are much greater than even his desire to his desire and need to punish and to deal with sin. Going back to that passage I said I wanted to read, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Let me read the whole thing now. Okay, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. You compare all that he says about his character, about his love, his compassion, his desire to be good to people, his desire to have a relationship with people, his desire to be merciful, his desire to be gracious. But in the midst of that, he's not going to just overlook sin. It's got to be paid for. That's why he made the covenant with his people in the Old Testament. And they had to offer all these sacrifices and all that kind of stuff so that people would realize sin is serious. All right? So price has got to be paid in the Old Testament until Jesus came and took care of it permanently. You know, all these sacrifices, all these animals had to give their lives and shed their blood to show the seriousness of sin. Um, and uh, I heard one preacher put it this way, that all the sacrifices in the Old Testament were kind of like interest-only payments. You all know what an interest-only payment is? It means you're making payment toward this loan, but you never get the principal paid off. You're just paying off the interest to keep pushing it down the road. And that's kind of what all those Old Testament sacrifices were until Jesus could come and his death paid the principal. I love that illustration. Yeah. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we said all sin's got to be paid for, fully and completely. Jesus did it. 
And that's why when people don't accept Christ, they're basically saying, I'll pay for my own. And they can't. They can't. John, 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite promises, because I have to use it too much. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. Notice that word justice still is in there. God is just. That's why he's got to punish sin. But because Jesus paid for it, if we're trusting in him, he's just. We're forgiven. Okay. Letter D, as we get back to the topic, we should forgive because God has forgiven us. We should forgive because God has forgiven us. Have you ever had somebody do something to really tick you off, really frustrate you, really hurt you, and kind of inside you're like, I can't wait till they stand before God? You ever felt that way? I have to be honest. You know, sometimes that kind of thoughts come to my mind. You know, I was reading a story one time about this guy who was feeling that way, and some guy had taken advantage of him. I think he'd ripped him off by a bunch of money and that kind of stuff. And and he was saying, "Man, I can't wait till they stand before God." And God just spoke to their heart and says, "Oh, actually, they said um, they were talking to themselves. Oh, I hope God brings that up on Judgment Day." And God kind of spoke to their heart and says, "Yeah, I'll bring that up on Judgment Day as long as you don't mind me bringing up this." And he started naming all the things that he had done. And he realizes, like, you know what? It's probably okay. You can just let that go, God. <laughs> you know? It goes back to what I said before. We want mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for everybody else. Because we think we got all these reasons and excuses and all that kind of stuff. Well, what we did was not that big a deal compared to what they did to us. All right? So we see this in the New Testament. Paul writes about this a number of times in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the basis why he asks us to forgive each other. I've done it to you. I'm asking you to do it for one another. That is hard. It is hard. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We see a great example in Acts chapter 6. Um, Stephen, one of the first godly men in the New Testament that God was using other than the disciples, um, was arrested and put on trial, and he was stoned to death. He was the first martyr that's recorded in Scripture. And as they're stoning him to death, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Great example. Let's go on to the question number two. How are these truths evident in Jesus' teaching and actions? What do we see in Jesus' life, his ministry, his teaching, the things that he did that illustrate forgiveness um, and um, uh God's forgiveness for us um, and our need to forgive others. What do you see in Jesus' life? John? Okay, so he demonstrated on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Did they not know they were crucifying him? Sure they did. But they didn't know the full extent of what they were doing. And they certainly didn't know the full extent of who they were doing it to. Yeah. Yes. He always showed love and he forgave a lot of people. Who else did he forgive? Peter, yeah, Peter denied him, right? But he forgave and restored Peter. Who else did he forgive? What? Judas? Did Judas, I mean, I think he would have Judas asked him. I think that's the problem. That I think that's the reason why Judas and Peter ended up in two different situations because Judas never asked for forgiveness. But I think he would have. You know, to be honest with you, was what Judas did anything worse than what Peter did? Not ultimately, no. No? Who else did Jesus forgive or offer forgiveness to or declare forgiven? Chris? We suppose he forgave Barabbas. Well, whether Jesus forgave Barabbas or not, 
We don't know because we don't know if Barabbas asked for it. But if Barabbas asked for it, he did. Who else did Jesus forgive? Carlton. The other one of the thieves on the cross. One of the thieves on the cross. Yeah. Who else? The woman caught in adultery. Yeah. Remember? He says, "Where are your Where are your accusers? They're gone." He says, "Well, neither do I condemn you." But he also said, "Go and sin no more." Yeah. Yeah. How about the um, the guy that his friends dropped dropped him, <laughs> let him down through the roof, right? I mean, he was wanting a healing, right? He says, your sins are forgiven. And that caused a lot of problems for the Pharisees. All right. But let me give you the things I have on my note sheet, which includes all these things you just said. Letter A, okay, these truths are evident in Jesus' teaching. Jesus taught that we should forgive others. We see it right here in the Lord's Prayer. That's why we're studying it. All right. Um, we're not going to read all these passages. You can read them later. But in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, Jesus gives an illustration. If you are worshiping God... And you realize there's a problem between you and your brother? Go get it worked out with your brother before you come back and worship God. He doesn't use the word forgive, but that's what the concept is. There's a problem. Something's got to be worked out. There's got to be forgiveness that takes place. He says that right now is more important than you worshiping God. You've got to get those things taken care of. Okay? Um, Matthew 5.44 and Luke 6.27 both say the same thing. Jesus said, love your enemies. Doesn't say the word forgive. But can you love your enemy if you haven't forgiven them? It's kind of built in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Matthew 18, 18, verses 21 to 35 is one of Jesus' parables. And the reason he even tells this parable is that Peter asked Jesus a question. He says, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Peter thought he was being very generous. Because the rabbis taught you should forgive somebody three times. After that, forget it. So Peter's probably thinking, seven times, I'll, I'll take the standard, I'll double it, add one to it. Jesus is going to think I'm cool. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Seventy times seven, or seventy-seven times, which was a colloquialism, but basically, you just keep on forgiving. And he tells this parable, he says, because it's like this, it's like this king that had this servant that owed him like millions and millions of dollars in today's, and he says, hey, pay me back. And the guy says, I can't do it. He says, throw him in jail, and his family too, until it can all be paid back, which would be impossible. And the servant fell down and said, please, please forgive me somehow. I'll work it all out. And the king says, ah, just forget it. And then that servant goes out, finds another servant who owes him about 20 bucks and starts choking him and says, give me what you owe me. And the guy couldn't, a guy didn't have it on him. I mean, he could actually could have paid it back over time, but he says, nope, throw him in jail. And he did. And uh, so Jesus said, the king called the first guy in and said, forget it, you know. And that was where Jesus also said the same thing, that if you can't forgive, you've not experienced forgiveness. All right? And then there's another parable in Luke chapter 7, verses 41 to 47. That's the story where Jesus is invited to dinner by Simon the Pharisee. I think his name is Simon. Yeah, Simon. And uh, he calls him in, and he deliberately snubs Jesus. He doesn't have his feet washed and make it possible for him to wash his feet. He doesn't give him the standard greeting. He doesn't anoint his head. But then as they're eating, that woman that comes in, the immoral woman, and she washes his feet and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and Simon says, oh, he can't be from God, or he'd know what kind of woman this was. He wouldn't let her touch him. And so Jesus tells us the parable. He says, I'm like something to tell you. He says, there's this guy that owed this, this other guy a bunch of money. And he forgave him. And then there's another guy that just owed him a little tiny bit, and he forgave him. He says, which one do you think loved him more? He says, oh, the guy, he forgave her a lot. Uh, and that was the comparison there, that, that um, Simon didn't think that he really owed God all, owed Jesus all that much or owed God all that much, and so he wasn't responsive to the love that was offered to him, like the woman 
who had been forgiven much. But anyway, it's, it's again the, uh, a principle or a, a parable that was taught about forgiveness. That one is the parable of the creditor and the two debtors. Okay, so Jesus taught that we should forgive others. Letter B, Jesus granted forgiveness to others. Jesus granted forgiveness to others. And you guys mentioned all the ones I had on here. You mentioned a couple, bit mo- couple more. John 8, 1 to 11 is the woman caught in adultery. Luke 5, 17 to 26 is where Jesus forgave and healed the paralytic. And John 21, verses 15 to 19 is where Jesus forgave and restored Peter. Okay? And you guys mentioned another one. It slipped out of my mind, the other one you guys mentioned. And then letter C is what John mentioned there. Jesus demonstrated forgiveness for others. Whereas Jesus didn't just tell other people they were forgiven by God, but Jesus himself forgave from the cross. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So now we're going to jump into the practical part, okay? Knowing all this stuff that we talked about, what the Bible says about our sin, our need for forgiveness, God's willingness to forgive, because God is willing to forgive us, we need to forgive others also, even though it's hard. How should all these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? What are some things that come to mind? What would you say, Sharon? Okay, so we need to ask for God's help. Ask the Holy Spirit, ask God to help us to forgive others. Okay, what else should we, how else should we pray? What are some other things we should pray in relationship to forgiveness? Pray for your enemies. Pray for the people that you need to forgive. Not just that you do forgive them, (laughs) Lord, help me forgive them, but actually pray for them, okay? How else should it inflict? Well, the obvious is here, we need to pray and ask God to forgive us. Right? Yeah. Any other thoughts about how these truths impact our prayers? Pray to forgive yourself. Okay? Um, That's kind of a loaded phrase, and I don't mean that in any negative way. What does it really mean to forgive yourself? And I think what, what, what we could say is that we need to pray that God will help us to have the confidence in the provision he's provided for our forgiveness. Have you ever beaten yourself up way, way... I mean, you've asked God to forgive you. You were sincere, but it's like, oh, but he couldn't have forgiven me. So God, forgive me. So we end up asking him over and over and over for the same sin when God says, if you, you, know, if you truly repent, I've forgiven you. And we let the devil keep us under condemnation. You know, And so we need to pray, God, I really meant what I said, but I'm sorry. So help me to let that go, because you did. It's just hard to believe you let it go. <laughs> did you have your hand up, Carlton? Okay, that God's Holy Spirit would make us aware of our need for forgiveness. Oh, okay, so pray for unbelievers to become aware of their need for forgiveness. Okay, so I took it the other way, but that one's a good one too. You know, I pray too, God, if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to you and I'm not seeing it, I'm not sensing it, convict me, show me. Yeah. Oh, somebody actually said they didn't need to ask God for forgiveness because they never did anything wrong. Yeah, okay. All right, so let me give you what I have on my sheet here in my notes. How should these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? Letter A, pray that God will forgive your sins. I mean, that's the initial meaning of what Jesus is saying in this portion of the Lord's Prayer. You know, pray, Father, forgive us. And we haven't spent much time talking about that. Again, this is an us thing. This isn't just me. We're in this together. But pray that God will forgive your sins. And we do have that promise of God from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How often should we pray that God forgives us of sins? 
all the time? What did you say, John? As often as you pray? I thought you were going to say as often as you need it. <laughs> how about anytime you're aware of sin? Yeah. That's sort of like saying, how often should you bathe? Anytime you're dirty, right? How often should you wash your hands? Anytime they're dirty. How often should you pray, God, forgive me? Anytime you're dirty. <laughs> you know, that's kind of behind the whole truth behind Jesus washing his disciples' feet, you know? He goes, he washes their feet. All that kind of stuff. And it was symbolic of the cleansing of their sins. And he gets to Peter and Peter says, no, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And she says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have nothing to do with me. He says, oh, wash my whole body. He says, Peter, you've already had a bath. You just need your feet washed. Okay. And, and that's kind of symbolic of our bath is when we've been saved. And all of our past has been wiped out. All the sin and everything. But as we go through life, we pick up dirt as we go along. You know, we mess up. We sin. We fall. We, we give into temptation. So we've got to have those feet washed. All right. Okay, B, pray that others would turn to God for forgiveness. Pray that others would turn to God for forgiveness. This is another great time to pray for the salvation of others. Lord, forgive me of my sins, and you can confess them, whatever. But Lord, you know, I got some people that I love that they've not come to you for forgiveness. So would you please, I mean, you can't pray for them to be forgiven, and God's going to forgive them because you asked them, but... Our prayers make a difference. Lord, may they come to a realization, just like Carlton said. May they come to a realization that they need their sins forgiven. Okay? Um, let us see. Pray that God would help you forgive others. That goes back to what Sharon said. We need his help because forgiveness is one of the hardest things that God asks us to do. All right? And then letter D. This goes back to what um, Linda said. Pray for the people you need to forgive. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I say it applies not just to people who persecute us, unless you just want to look at persecute as any way in which somebody hurts you, harms you, comes against you, you know, um, pray for them. Last question, application, only a couple minutes left. How should these truths impact the way I live? Not just the way I pray, because we're talking about living the Lord's Prayer. We don't just pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, forgive so-and-so. Help me to forgive so-and-so. Give me the strength to do it. And, you know, speak to so-and-so. So they'll ask for forgiveness. But how should it change the way I live? How do these truths affect the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? Any thoughts? Marissa. Good illustration. You still choose to do what is good and right for somebody even though they've hurt you. All right. Good answer. How should it affect the way we live? Chris. Okay. So keep your guard up at all times because we live in a world. Now, are you saying keep your guard up so you can not develop an unforgiving spirit or keep your guard up so you be ready to forgive when someone comes against you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought you were saying. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the way it should affect the way we live? Okay, so it can actually be a conversation starter or continuer that can lead to a testimony. Yeah, that's great. Okay, let me give you what I've got because it is about time for us to leave. Um, how should these truths impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? Letter A, deliberately choose to forgive others. I mean, that's the first most practical because it says forgive me because I've forgiven others or as I forgive others. So we have to choose to forgive others. Remember, it doesn't mean our feelings have to change. Hopefully they will over time and lots of testimonies that they have probably has for you have has anybody ever done something to hurt you and over the course of time you ended up forgiving them and your feelings changed you know but choose deliberately to forgive others here's a great story from history clara barton was the founder of the american red cross 
And one day she was reminded by a friend of a terrible thing that somebody else had done to her years earlier. She acted as if she never even heard about it. And the friend says, don't you remember it? Clara's response was, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. (laughs) What was she trying to say? I have deliberately chosen not to affect me, let it affect me. And that really what it means to forgive. You know, you hear forgive and forget. You really can't forgive and forget. Okay. But what that means is you forgive and I'm no longer going to hold them accountable for it. Okay. I'm I'm no longer going to. That's not exactly the right way to put it because sometimes people need to be held accountable. What I'm saying is I'm not going to allow it to affect, okay, my relationship with them uh, to the sense that I'm going to alienate alienate them and and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so deliberately choose to forgive others. Letter B, don't seek revenge. I mean, isn't that the first thing we want to do when someone hurts us? Romans 12, verses 17 to 19, repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then letter C is the one that Verissa mentioned. Deliberately choose to do good to those you need to forgive. Luke six twenty-seven and 28 says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Romans 12, 20, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That last phrase has a couple different ways you can interpret that. It can mean that if you do this, it's going to really make him feel guilty. Okay? Um, There's other possible applications of what that phrase might mean, but we're not going to dig deeply into that. The last point I want to make, it's not on your note sheet here, but when we don't forgive people... Who does it really hurt? Us. The other person probably could care less, at least most of the time. But when we don't forgive, we're the ones that are battling the anger. We're the ones that are battling the hatred. We're the ones that are battling the bitterness and the hard feelings and the resentment and and the unhappiness and the depression. It can lead to physical problems. I love this quote. I'm sure you've heard it before. Anne Lamott wrote a book called Traveling Mercies. And she says, not forgiving someone is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the other person to die. Okay? You're drinking the rat poison and you're expecting the rat to die. All right? But when we truly learn to forgive, we're set free. We can have inner peace. We can have a lifting of burden and guilt. It's a witness to the people that are around. But most importantly, it's that inner peace that can come. All right? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had tonight to study this particular phrase. And this is, this is one of the harder ones. It's easy to pray because we want to need your forgiveness. But it's really hard to live out because we don't always want to give forgiveness to others. We just pray you'd help us with the process. I pray, dear God, that you would help us not feel condemned and overwhelmed with guilt, but help us to realize how much you truly have forgiven us and how free we are and an eternity with you versus an eternity separated from you because of your forgiveness. Lord, may that motivate us and help us in our process of trying to forgive other people. And Father, I pray as we do that, it would be a testimony to the people that are around us. And God, we do pray for our loved ones who have never come to ask for your forgiveness. They see no need to. They don't believe you. Whatever the reason might be, Lord, I pray in a very loving way that you show them their sinfulness, but also reveal your love so that they will come and ask for forgiveness too and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 